about that. So Pastor Carlos, as you can see, is not with us today, but we are thankful that we have Pastor Joe Gilliam here today to bring us our sermon. So I will turn it over to you, Joe. Thank you again for being with us. Oh, man. <laughs> Applause. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you have a copy of God's Word, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I was looking at my notes this week. I think I've been at uh, Redeemer seven, eight times. And so I'm getting at a point where I need to make notes of what stories I've told here and which ones I haven't. So you get to a point, though, it's kind of like uh, my grandfather used to say, the, the way that you show me respect is that you, you listen to my story as though it's the first time you've heard it, right? Or the joke. And so, But it's always a joy to be here. Always appreciate uh, the environment and uh, the kindness uh, in Redeemer. Uh, Redeemer is always one. It, it reminds me. Uh, I used to preach at this African American church uh, a bit, and it was a very much enjoy, very much enjoyed the uh, environment. And uh, but it was a type of church that uh, when you first came, no one was there, and uh, it was very sparse. Uh, and uh, by the time you got up to preach, the place was full. And uh, Redeemer's kind of like that. Uh, uh, you start, um, and you're kind of like, is anybody going to be here this morning? And then all of a sudden, it, it starts uh, uh, filling out. Uh, but it's always a joy uh, to be here. Ecclesiastes 5, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I ask you to stand this morning uh, to honor uh, the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse 1 and concluding in verse 7. It says this, Guard your steps, when you go to the house of God, to draw near to, is, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Recently we were in worship and my wife was looking over at one of my children, not the one that is with me this morning, but my wife was looking over at one of my children and they were taking notes. And as they were taking notes, she could tell that the whole page was full and as you look at that, you're in some ways encouraged that your child is attentive and in worship. But as she looked on a double take, she realized that this child was saying the same phrase over and over, and it filled the whole page up in public worship. And it was this phrase, I am bored, I am bored. And the whole page was filled with this one statement. I think that we could all relate that at times we come to public worship and we feel a degree of boredom. I was raised in the church, I was a pastor's kid, and I was raised in a culture where it was three to thrive. I mean, back in those days, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and uh, we did not miss. Uh, we were there, uh, and I remember as a child, some of the best sleep that I ever had was in public worship uh, on a wooden pew. 
I think there was a time that my parents actually were all the way to the car and realized that I was asleep on the pew and had to come back and get me. If we're honest about public worship and if we're transparent about public worship and corporate worship, we would all attest that there are times that we come and our hearts have a degree of apathy. Because of the mundaneness, because of the repetition of life, we come to it and sometimes we do not have the zeal and the passion in which we should have. Well, Solomon is an individual, and I would imagine that most of you know a good bit about the book of Ecclesiastes, but Solomon writes from several different viewpoints. Solomon, first of all, says that life is crooked, it's broken. And one way that Solomon says that life is crooked, it's broken, is that life consists of mind-numbing repetition. That oftentimes in life, there is a repetitive nature of life. That we do the same things over and over and over. But Solomon says that also that an individual who is wise, an individual who has faith, that God grants them the ability to have joy in the midst of mind-numbing repetition of doing the same things over and over and he looks at a host of subjects and it would stand to reason that he would look at the subject of corporate worship of coming to the house of God and Solomon in our section this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 he brings once again that a person who has wisdom is an individual who has learned over time to have a holy fear of God and to approach corporate worship in a certain way. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 really consists of, of two sections. That a person who has an accurate view of God, a person who has wisdom, they will view corporate worship a certain way and they will also view money a certain way. So in this first section, Solomon, he addresses this idea of corporate worship. We know that Solomon was concerned about worship. Solomon, of course, had the privilege of building the temple. He was a person that was concerned with how a person viewed worship. And in like most wisdom literature, Solomon writes like most wisdom literature, he compares and contrasts. He tells how a person views corporate worship who is wise and how a person who views corporate worship is who is foolish. He is always comparing and contrasting. However, in this section, Solomon often writes like a philosopher. Uh, a philosopher, sometimes he has ideas, but there's not some necessarily a sting to it. There's not necessarily a directness to it. In this passage here, Solomon writes like a preacher. Um, Solomon is not kind of speaking about ideas that are out there. Solomon is speaking in a very direct, uh, forthright way. And he says that a person who has a correct view of corporate worship, they will be marked by a life with certain commandments that they feel. And he gives us very quick and sharp imperatives. He says, first of all, a person will guard their steps. The second thing he says is that they will not be quick with their mouth in corporate worship. And the third thing that he says is that they will keep their commitments. And the last thing that he says is that they will not let their mouth lead them into sin. Now the thing that all of this section is built upon is the last phrase in verse number 7. He says, God is the one you must fear. 
Solomon says that, that one thing that corporate worship should do for us, that when we regularly attend it and we regularly expose ourselves to it, is that corporate worship should produce in people a healthy fear of God. Worship that is good, worship that is pleasing to God, is worship that is characterized by a, a fear of God. Now, there, there are always two aspects of understanding the fear of God. There's, of course, a, there's of course a, an awe and a reverence of God. You, you understand who He is and what is His makeup. And, and secondly, uh, fear of God always begins with what pleases God and what displeases God. Um, we have to know the character and nature of God in order for us to fear Him. We have to know what He approves of and what He disapproves of. And Solomon says that, that if corporate worship is going to produce what it should, it should always be grounded in the true nature and character of God. We have to understand who God is. And when we understand who God is, we will approach that God in a correct way. However... If God's character is in some ways not clearly explained in corporate worship, it would not produce the realities that it needs to. Because we want to know someone's character. It gives us information on how we should approach them. Uh, in my command, we're, we're about to get a new CO. Um, and in that transition, in a, in a small command on a small ship, people want to know about this person's personality and so sometimes when you're talking in in the wardroom someone who's done some Facebook stalking or some snooping on uh, the internet they will say I, I looked up their name and I and I found out this about them uh, I, I looked on whatever you can find on Facebook I don't know if it tells you anything um, but I looked on Facebook and I kind of found this information about that in a roundabout way, they're, they're wanting to learn about this person's character, their nature, so they can in some way see, this is how I would approach this person. Well, in a much larger way, that's what's taking place in corporate worship. We must know who God is. We, we must clearly know his character if we're going to approach him in the correct way. And so the first thing that he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says that when you come into corporate worship, guard your steps. When you go to the house of God, guard your steps. He says, be, be very thoughtful. Uh, have your ears wide open. Um, he, he says, be careful. Be attentive. Um, you, you know, sometimes you say with your children, you, you better watch yourself, okay? You're not across the line, okay? But you're getting kind of close to the line. Just, just, just watch, watch your steps. Watch, kinda, watch how you're talking to your mother. There's a little, I just hear a little tone in that voice of, of disrespect. And I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you to just be mindful of that. that that's kind of what that, that word carries. He's, he's saying that when we come to worship, there shouldn't be a flippancy. There shouldn't be, oh, yeah, okay, I'm sure we'll find out something new about this person up there. He says, no, there, there's, a, there's an attentiveness. Um, there's, a, there's a thoughtfulness. Um, there's a carefulness. Uh, you want to know what's going on. And he says this in the next phrase. He says, to draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He says that when you come to worship, it's better to listen. There, there's two main actions that we do with our senses, and that's talking and, and listening um, to be constantly talking is, is a mark of a fool. You, you've heard the proverb uh, where there's many words, what is not lacking, right? Sin is not lacking. 
Uh, when we talk a lot, of course, there's, there's more of an ability or an opportunity to get ourselves in, in trouble. And he says that when we, when we come into worship, we, we should more have a listening heart. A, a fool who talks a lot, a fool who's always speaking. It's a mark that they, they think that they understand a multitude of subjects. Uh, there's nothing that they, they don't know or there's nothing that they cannot learn. But Solomon says a, a mark of faithful worship is that we come with a, a listening ear. Wise worshipers, they, they want to listen. Uh, they want to learn. They, they understand that they do not know everything. Uh, you, you know, there's, a, there's an aspect of worship, and of course, where we hear and we respond. We've already done that right here. But there's also an as- aspect of worship where God is speaking directly to us. Uh, there's, there's a sense in which uh, in progressive movements that people want to change preaching, that, that, that preaching should not be a monologue, but it should be more of a dialogue. But there's something communicated in preaching. Uh, when a person is handling the word of God, that, that God is, is speaking directly through us. Uh, it's from the, the man of God. There's, there's something being communicated to us that, that God is the one who is speaking. That, that God is the one who is in charge. Uh, that, that, that our experiences and our opinions are, are not what is important at that matter. What is important at that matter is, is what God's word is, is saying. And, and what God wants and what God cherishes he says also it's 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 better than listen to 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 offer sacrifice of fools for they do not know that what they are doing are evil the idea there is that foolish worship often sees worship like this is that when a person comes into worship they will actually think that they will get some advantage with god that that a fool worships like this god if i come and worship here i can in some ways manipulate you to get what i want you owe me something, right? I, I mean, I set my alarm today at 7. I got out of bed. I wanted to sleep in, um, but I got here. Um, I even ironed my clothes. Um, some of us did. Maybe some of us didn't. Um, I, I got a Bible, and I, I got, there's so many things that I could be doing this morning. You, you owe me something. I had a guy in the first church I pastored. He he says, I, I told God, I said, listen, if you, can, if you can make my social security check work out where it's a little bit more, I, I feel like they're, they're jipping me on it. And if you can work it out, they give you more. I'll come to corporate worship and, and, I'll, and I'll keep my in. You know, it's very easy for us to think like that. We all have a degree of like that. Sometimes in my heart, I'll think like that with my children. God, I, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty good dad. I'm making all these sacrifices. I take them to church. I try to give them Christian education. I, I try to have corporate worship often. I mean, I'm an involved dad. God, you, I think I owe that they turn out all right. I really think. I mean, I'm putting all this work in. God, I hope that at the end of the day, they want to honor you and obey you. God says, listen, that's a foolish man. He says, you don't come to God and I don't come to God as though I can twist God's arm. But we don't come to God and say, God, you, 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 better, you better do what I want you to do because I'm doing what you tell me to do. He says it, it, that's a foolish man's way of worshiping. And then he says in verse number two, he says this. He says, be not rash with your mouth in public worship. He, he says that when we come into to public worship, he says there's a mark that, uh, that our words should be few. Uh, oftentimes we, we think in prayer, 
um, that obviously longer prayers, and I'm not saying every long prayer is, is evil or foolish, but oftentimes it's, it's easy for us to think that, that longer prayers and, and prayers that are filled with uh, very uh, educated words and, and, and spoken in a very articulate way are, are usually more biblical. But the Bible tells us that sometimes that's a sign of hypocrisy. That, that, that oftentimes, in, in, in my experience, the times that I felt the, the closest to God is when I have, and when I have uttered the, the most simplistic prayers. God, help me. I, I got nothing here. <laughs> God, I, I, I'm a mess. This, this is jacked up. God, just help me. I, I don't even have words. There's a sense in which we can easily get into hypocrisy, but when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret who will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Solomon says that the mark of a wise person is that when they they come into corporate worship, their words are few. He says, be reminded of that. And then he says this, for God is in heaven And you are on earth. Now, in some ways, that doesn't even really need a lot of explanation. That's one of those phrases where God is telling us that in corporate worship, we're put in our place, right? Um, We're put in our place. Uh, We all like to sometimes, you you watch a video, I don't know if you're scrolling, and and maybe it's a debate or something like that, and somebody's put in their place, right? Or, Or you're watching some of these videos, my son liked to watch these videos of, basketball guys out on the street and they're doing moves and and they put someone in their place and everybody just goes oh my goodness we you put that person in your place well solomon says that that when we come to to worship in some ways god is reminding us who he is and who we are he says god is in heaven and we are on earth God is in charge. God God is perfectly holy and we are not. God is sovereign over everything and we are utterly dependent upon him. Calvin says that knowing God and knowing ourselves is the sum of all wisdom. Knowing God and knowing ourselves is the sum of all wisdom. There is no true wisdom unless a person truly knows who God is and who they are in light of that God. It's true corporate worship that, that produces a fear in our heart will remind us of that reality. I'm not saying that it has to be harsh and it always has to be sharp, but there is a sense in which corporate worship, it, it fills us with the realities of our feebleness and it fills us of the realities of God's holiness. And then he says in verse 3, he says this, For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. He says that what marks a fool is that when they come into, to perfect, into, into worship, they're, they're marked by a busyness of speech. As I've studied and I looked at this, I think the indication is that there's almost an idea that a person could come into public worship and because they don't want to truly do what God wants them to do, they're always hiding behind something. There's a busyness there. Um, there's, just, there's just certain things that there's always smoke screens. They're, they're always trying to put a facade on so they don't have to truly obey God. Uh, there was an individual that I pastored uh, at uh, 
one one time and uh, one of the joys of being a chaplain now is you, you can speak openly about the people you pastored um but uh this 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 end of, yeah and, and be careful you don't want to one day be a a preacher's uh sermon illustration uh in church uh but uh this person i pastored um uh they were very annoying to me um i i did not enjoy pastoring some of you are like i isn't the pastor supposed to all like us all the same right um this person was really uh, uh, annoying to me um i didn't enjoy their company um I, and, and every time i i got around them they they just they just poked me the wrong way um sometimes even when i preach to to look at them they annoyed me they just annoyed me um and they were just always poking and and one of the reasons that they annoyed me, and, and I think they felt it, um, it was mutual, I think, to a degree. Um, and one of the reasons that, that I struggle with this individual is that this individual was, was very good at, at pointing out everybody's issues in the church. Uh, they were very good at confronting people on a lot of secondary issues. Um, they were the person that were very quick to do that. However, the interesting thing about this person's life is that they had major inconsistencies in their own life, um, it, it, it major blind spots. Uh, it, it was almost like a crack addict get onto you, getting onto you for drinking a Coke or something. You, you were kind of like, you, you know, I, there's some inconsistencies here, uh, but you seem very quick to, to want to get into other people's lives. Solomon says it's very easy for us in corporate worship to, to hide behind theological games because we don't want to obey the simplicity of Scripture. I think the Pharisees were good at that. The Pharisees could make theological arguments and they could put on facades when they didn't want to obey the simple truths of Scripture. Charles Bridges puts it like this, we are prone to ask curious questions rather than listen to plain truths and obey. We want to talk about the minutiae sometimes and I think in the reform movement we are, we are apt to this sometimes. We want to talk about theological jargon, but, it, but it, when it comes to, to simple biblical truths that God tells us to obey, we, we just oftentimes don't want to do it. And then he says in verse 4, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. A vow is uh, a commitment. What happens in worship, and it, it's a good thing, what happens in worship is that we come to public worship, uh, we're convicted by something, we hear the word of God, and when we're convicted by it, we see something in our life that doesn't need to be there, we immediately say, God, I, I want to fix that. God, this is going on in my marriage, I feel like I'm harsh with my wife, I feel like I'm impatient with my children, God, I want to fix that, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm committing to, to, to fix that, I, I want to stop certain uh, behavior, um, and when we make these, these promises, either directly or uh, indirectly, uh, the, the, promise, the, the problem with vows and, and commitments is that they are much easier to make than they are to keep, right? It's very easy to make commitments and vows. It's very easy to say, you know, God, I, I'm going to do this. But then we will begin to think through the process. When we begin to think through all the, the work it's going to take, then we begin to lose steam. And Solomon says that a wise person, that when he comes into public worship, he doesn't just hastily say, hey, God, yep, I'm going to do this this week. I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this vow. Solomon says that, that, that if you do that, you better carry it out. Following 
commitments are an important part of, of godliness. He says in verse 5, it is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay it. He says, don't, don't make a vow that, that you're not going to keep. And one preacher says, it's always easier to be courageously obedient in your own mind than it is to do what you are required to do right now. It is easier to boast about tomorrow than it is to show humility in the present. We've all had a time in our life where, he, where we said, no, this, is, this is how it's going to be in the future. This is what my life is, is going to, to look like. And Solomon says that we, we can do that in corporate worship. He says a fool's mouth is marked by speech, but they're always talking about their actions in the future, and they're never going to, to keep that. Now, what Solomon is saying here is Solomon is not saying that we should not make vows and commitments. We realize that that's part of the nature and character of God. God makes promises to us, right? And he keeps those vows. And as his image bearers of God, we reflect who he is. We, we make vows. We, we make commitment. But it's very easy for us to, to make these vows and commitments. I, I think that at times in our life, it's very, it, it's, it's, it would be beneficial for us to think about the vows and commitments that we've made before God. Now, how often do we do that? Do we ever think about the, the, our marriage vows? Those commitments. We made those before God and we made those before other witnesses. We think about the vows that we make at, for church membership. We make those vows and it's so easy to come up here. I, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to support this church with my finances. And then I, I, I need a kitchen remodel. And ah, it's hard. Um, I'm going to make a vow and a commitment when I baptize my children to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. I'm going to make that vow and commitment. You know, but then around 11 or 12, they're really interested in baseball. And it requires us to be gone three Sundays a month. Is that, is that raising your child in the admonition of the Lord? Is that raising your child with a commitment and devotion to the Lord's day? Is that, is that keeping your commitment? Is that keeping your vow? Solomon says that, that on the front end, when we make vows, when, when we make commitments, we, we must be very careful that we think them through, that, that we think through all the, the ramifications and the implications. The people who fear God, they listen to God carefully and they obey Him. That's how their worship is marked. You know, every time I, I read this passage of Scripture, I'm always reminded of my own sin. I'm always reminded of how imperfect my worship is. It's amazing that any of us right now are not struck dead. We read this passage, and, and I read this passage, and I say to myself, who can stand? Who can stand? How many times I've made vows, I've made commitments, and I haven't kept them to the degree that I should. How many times that I've been in public worship, and I'm thinking to myself, will that preacher please get done? I just want him to be, is, is, this, is this about to be over? I'm so bored in here. How many times have I been in public worship and say, do, can we only sing one more song? Do we have to sing three more songs? How many times in public worship have, have I allowed my mind just to, to daydream on flippant things? Well, one thing that is also happening in public worship is that the gospel is happening in corporate worship. You see, when we look to Christ, Christ died. He, he suffered 
not only to save us from our sins, but, but, he, but he also suffered and he fulfilled the law perfectly in his obedience to the law. You see, Jesus not only died for our sins, but he also was committed to worship in ways that we were never and could never be committed to worship. You know, in Hebrews 2.12, it says this of Psalm 22, and it says of Christ, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. These words refer to Jesus when he was making worship in the temple and the synagogue. What it says here is that, that when Christ was on this earth, Christ worshiped every time perfectly. Every time. He, he, he was engaged perfectly. He, he was engaged in worship perfectly. He always worshiped the Father while on earth, and he never sinned. Well, what does the gospel tell us? The, the gospel tells us that because of Christ's worship, our worship is approved by him. Because of what Christ has accomplished, well, because of what Christ has done for us, our worship, our worship that is offered to God is a worship that is well-pleasing for God. When we truly understand the realities of that, if we truly understand what Christ has purchased for us and what he has given to us, it can't help but motivate us and energize us to come in with a thoughtfulness and a carefulness in public worship and how we approach God. May God grant us the grace to approach him in a holy, reverent way, giving him all the honor that is due him. Father, we come to you and we attest to the fact that, that our worship is, is contaminated by sin. Father, even on our best days, even on our best days, we fall short completely of your standard. But Father, we're grateful and we're thankful for the righteousness of Christ. We're thankful that, that his righteousness is perfect in our place. And because of what he has accomplished, we now have the ability to come into the Father's presence with boldness, Father, because of what he has done. Father, also because of what he has done, because of a thankfulness, we can now, Father, be motivated to worship him in a right way. Father, we ask that you would give us hearts that desire to worship you, thoughtful, careful hearts. Father, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.